What is going on? Welcome to Land Podcast. This week we have a great episode with Steve Hansen. Steve is a returning guest here at the Land Podcast. He's been on Whitetail Cribs and he's been on some of the Exodus podcasts here. And we actually recorded a November episode you guys want to pay attention to. When we release it, it's going to be very timely to help you get the most out of the time we've all been waiting for. But this episode is all about the current land market some CRP conversations, some interesting tips that we have not covered here on the podcast before. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this conversation. Before we get into it, if you're brand new here to the Land Podcast, the goal here is very simple. It is to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included on this list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois or looking in the state of Illinois, and I can help you, I'd be more than happy to do so and represent you as a buyer's agent and help find a parcel that fits your goals. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I would do business with or someone that I'd be happy to at least make an introduction, see if you guys uh, click well. And then number three, if you just simply learn something that helps you take action, let me know and I want to add you to it. We've had quite a few. It's just a steady stream. Even though uh, it feels like there's been less deals going on, we still have a steady stream of people reaching out and I'm so grateful for that. Also in the world of Exodus, we have some killer savings for Velvet Fest 2023. You can use the code LP, just the letter L, the letter P to save 15% off the entire website. We also have a great deal where you can get four Exodus rivals for $5.99. You're gonna save $120. All you have to do is use the code rival4 at checkout. That's gonna be live all the way up to this Thursday night or while supplies last, but you can use the code LP for the entire month leading up to August 18th to save 15% off renders, rivals, arrows, anything on the site, take advantage of it. And also every camera and arrow order is gonna come with a scratch off card. And when you scratch that off, you type in the code on our website, it's gonna reveal the prize for your next order. So enough of all this, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Steve. Here we go. Steve, what's going on? Well, not much. Just hanging out here, enjoying yeah. the cool air. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun week, and thanks for having us out here again. No problem. It's uh, been quick. It, yeah, it always does, and it's we. I mentally always have so many plans to get done, and and then it, I don't really realize how long some stuff. Right, is. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the driving distance out here gets everybody. Yeah, but no, it's fun. We uh, this weekend we hung cameras on uh, a new parcel of yours. Um, I'll definitely want to dive into that, but uh, hung some cameras, did a little bit of fishing. Um, and now we're recording some podcasts. But before we get into all that, you've been on White Tail Cribs here. Uh, you've recorded some other podcasts with us, which are yep. always uh, appreciative of that. But go ahead and introduce yourself to people who don't know uh, who you are. Uh, my name's Steve Hansen. I uh, live down here in southern Iowa, kind of involved in all things uh, deer and land and uh, work for United Country Real Estate out of Albia. Yeah. And this is... a. Uh, this part of the country is pretty unique it, with just, we were, oh, so we won't buy one bank and that's where Jesse James. Right. <laughs> his last yep. stick up there. Yep. His last <laughs> robbery in yeah. court in Iowa there. Yeah. There's just a bunch of cool random history down here. Uh, and also I would call current whitetail history as well yes. uh, for, for the whitetail culture. But, um, so you, as you mentioned, you're, you're an agent for United Country. You've been a broker here for about 15 years, 15 yep. years. And yep. so I always, every time we're together, I always like to get your opinion on the, on the market. Cause I know the markets are so different across even the state of Iowa. Right. Um, Big time. But so. it's always interesting to get your perspective on what you're seeing. So year to date, what have you seen? Actually, I should say last time we were out here, I think it was March maybe or February. Yep. What have you seen from March to now that maybe is the same or a little bit different with the market that you've been seeing? I definitely think that the, um, you know, the market's slowed a little bit. Um, the top, like as far as hunting farms, the true top end, top quality, best neighborhoods, those prices haven't changed a lot. That de demand exists. 
And, you know, that one hasn't changed. The ones that are kind of like, you know, don't have an immediate neighbor that's going to possibly be a buyer and you're truly having to search out the market to find a buyer, those have slowed a little bit as well. And that's probably just a function of the interest rates and the cost of money finally catching up with things. It hasn't been a big change, but it's definitely noticeable. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it is. I talk about it on here all the time, but just how much difference the the money is like borrowing money versus a year ago to today from a monthly you know, mortgage payment, which most people, not, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people are utilizing. Yeah. You know, a good example of that, I was working with a young couple and they had going to buy an 80. It was 80 acres priced around 5,000 an acre. Um, they were borrowing money at seven and a half percent. So the cost of the land was about 400,000. It was a fixed rate for 20 years. If they didn't refinance or didn't change anything, by the time they paid it off, they would have spent over a million dollars. Wow. You know, and that just shows the gravity of what interest rates can do mm-hmm. to to the land and to land purchases. Yeah, so. the the long term uh, that compounds. So we everyone yes. talks about investing, and uh, yep. if you get seven or eight or nine percent return on the markets, then right your your money doubles in eleven years. And unfortunately, the inverse of that when you're right. borrowing when is you're 7%. borrowing, it works against you. Yeah, so. it makes it really challenging. So overall, you think things are stable and just maybe not as uh, as large as a buyer's pool. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. I think it's very stable and there still is strong demand. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it, people are being a little bit more careful about what they spend, a little bit more careful about what they buy and things are sitting on the market a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Do you think as, as we're recording this the following week, they sh- are supposed to raise uh, the Fed by like t- uh, 0.25%. Do you think that accelerates that or do you think that's not enough? That's really much of a difference than what it is today? Um, I think it it's definitely going to accelerate the slowdown or at least keep it in everyone's mind. Because a lot of what happens is perception. People just think, oh, the market's slowing now, you know, mm-hmm. and that then perpetuates itself. But, yeah, um, you know, I don't like the people that are shopping are still shopping. Maybe they're they're buying a little bit less or, um, you know, not making as offers as quickly. But it's it's surprising that it hasn't the higher interest rates haven't slowed things more. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking interest rates have ob- over doubled in two years. Yeah. So, and, and we haven't seen the um, inventory or the demand yeah. cut in half. Yeah. So that just shows it's, it's still moving forward. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the lack of inventory, especially down over where I'm at, there's still a very few listings that are available. Right. Um, and right. So there seems like there's a little bit more inventory down here, but I feel like there's probably always, always more inventory, more down, inventory here. down here. Yeah. yeah. This land's always more transitional. Yeah. So, yeah, that I find that really interesting. And so, with with that being in mind, as someone that's listening to this right now, and they've been saving up for the last three years, and they're they're looking. Do you have any advice for that person that's serious looking, and uh, just I guess advice to help navigate the market we're in right now? Yeah, I'd say this isn't a time I would rush into anything. I think I would shop carefully. Your money, whatever money you've saved and stuff, that's starting to have power again. And I would make sure that you know I would definitely go forward with your plans to purchase, but I would do so carefully. You know, I think there are going to be a few good deals here and there. Not, we're not going to see the market cut in half, anything like that. Just, you know, a few things that may, you know, may sell a little bit less than normal. So, mm-hmm. um, than it normally was. Yeah. It's uh, it's been a heck of a ride really the last couple of years. I've just yes. seen it and it's in, I feel that this conversation could almost have been repeated multiple times and then it still kept accelerating and still. Right kept going, but I, I do, I think that's a fair assessment for sure. And I, you're, uh, you get a lot of phone calls, so I know you're, you're oh, yeah. in the trenches We're always, here. yep. We're <laughs> always, always working on it. And you know, that auction we were involved in last week in kind of up in North Cent- or in central Iowa, 
that was a good test of the market. And it actually, you know, it went for about 20% less than it appraised at uh, three to four months ago. And, but, you know, there was a bunch of people that called us after the auction that never even went because they thought, thought it was, was going to go too high. Mm-hmm. And then they're kicking themselves. And that was a perfect, perfect, you know, instance that had they said, you know, just stayed the course, mm-hmm. shopped carefully, they would have got a great deal that day on on true high quality farmland, which doesn't come available very often. Yeah. So I think that's an excellent point. I think uh, it may be easy for people to get discouraged, but it's just the same thing. You just have to be looking. Yep. And, uh, and every now and then you'll, you'll roll into something like that. And then let, let's say for the example of someone that is looking for a recreational farm, they've saved up and maybe it's a 40 or a 60 acre piece. And you would just still say like, okay, if this hits enough marks on your checklist, it's within your budget, you would still say, hey, go still for it. Still go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and then that kind of segues into your new piece here. Um, I want to talk about that. We went and hung cameras on it. Yep. Uh, we, <laughs> we got some stories to tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh that was a uh, was that like the second or third time you've been on there you know i walked it that's the first time i've i've been no that's only the second time i've been on it since we owned it i walked it pretty good before we bought it mm-hmm. but that was probably the most time i've ever spent on it in one day by a long shot mm-hmm. and as you could tell we had to bring a chainsaw with and cut trees to get through so a lot of those places we'd never taken a you know a side-by-side or a four-wheeler to so it's it's pretty untouched yeah, so. which was, uh, it was fun going through and, and kind of breaking down that property with you and we were hanging cameras. And we also, uh, Richard has a black eye. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I've got, got a black eye. You got a black eye rolling. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I'll let you tell the story of that <laughs> in terms of uh, un- uncharted territory. Yeah. <laughs> well, part of what we're doing is getting to the back part of the farm where we, you know, wanted to hang some cameras and keep that, you know, you know, be able to get to it. And I brought my small side by side. That's really just a two seater, but we crammed three people into the front <laughs> and we had all kinds of stuff loaded in the back and going through the CRP. Um, we were pretty careful at first. And if we, something looked questionable, we'd get out of, you know, we're talking shoulder to head high grass. We would get out and walk it to make sure there wasn't a waterway that had washed out or something. And, uh, inevitably we kind of, st- I kind of stopped doing that or forgot <laughs> we're on to the do way it. Out. Yeah. We were, we were headed back out and we fell into a three or four foot deep <laughs> ditch and literally the front of the buggy dropped in and stopped instantly. And my head hit the steering wheel and, that goes uh, flying. Joe, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and it, it, it got us good. I mean, we all sat there kind of half stunned and I felt my face and felt blood running down and it was like, Oh no. Yeah. So yeah, we uh, survived to tell the tale. Richard bonked his head. I bonked my head. Yeah. We broke the reverse shifter. Yeah. Broke knee. the shifter off the, <laughs> off the four wheeler. So it's, yeah, it's always something. So. Yeah. But, um, so what, that type of farm, I think, is I like those farms. I, I like them for a variety of reasons. I think there's there's really good income on it, mm-hmm. and there's arguably good hunting on it as well. Yep. And so I think a lot of people get um, people when they're thinking about their their ideal farm, they think of pure timber. Right. I think a lot of times, like, oh, this doesn't this farm doesn't have a lot of timber, for example. And what's your what's your thought process on that? And I, I know they both have their places. Yeah, you know, comparing this farm to uh, um, you know a, an all timber or primarily timber farm. The reason I like these is the deer activity is definitely condensed into, you know, smaller areas. We'll be able to learn and have that farm set up well to cover all of our rut funnel spots the first year. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very easy spots to find, very textbook. They don't have much, um, you know, they don't require a lot of, you know, like heavy equipment, moving trees, building funnels, stuff like that. It all is natural right there. 
And then uh, the other thing, you know, that I really like about a farm like that is because it has good CRP income. Um, CRP is great habitat. It's something that you can improve and make better. And a lot of the improvement projects, you can get cost share to do them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having that's kind of the balance to me because on a 240 acre farm, whether it was all timber or this one, which is, you know, basically 200 acres of CRP Mm -hmm. and 40 acres of, of draws and ditches, um, you know, on a 240 acre farm, I'm only going to have eight or 10 spots either way. Mm-hmm. And this way they're that much easier and that much more predictable, uh, more for predictable sure. for yeah. sure. So yeah, the sign's going to be more condensed yep. um, across the board. And yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, we put out six rivals, I think, or five rivals yeah. and some lift twos and some lifts. Yeah. And so, so I'll be curious what's running around out there. And yeah. uh, so, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So what do you have? Do you have a mental checklist when you're looking at a potential farm, uh, whether you're helping a client buy it or if something that you might be buying, do you have a mental checklist of what you look for in a farm? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the biggest one right off the bat is, you know, what do we have for income? Try to des- decide if the price point on the farm is worth it relative to the income or the potential income, whether that's crops, CRP, or just strictly timber. Um, you know, those are all different sources of income that we might utilize in different ways on buying a farm. And then the other thing is like a farm like that, where it's already in CRP, that's a huge leap ahead because if it happened to have been cattle pasture, you know, our normal strategy would be to start farming it and then the whole place. And then the areas that are critical for habitat, we would at some point re-enroll, but that could be a five to seven year process. Mm -hmm. This way, you can always take CRP and farm it. You can't always take farmland and make CRP out of it easily. So that in that case, this farm checked that box to me. And then, you know, one of the things that that's getting more rare to me, I like farms that are kind of unimproved when we get them and clean slates that we can start with. This one definitely checked that box and driving around that, that perimeter or the, you know, the section roads there. I don't think internal of our section, other than one shooting house, that there was much sign of any serious hunting. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that too, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a huge benefit. And the other exciting thing with this farm too is there was no food previously. And, no, and nothing. You're able to put food on there. So, um, so any other, any other checklist, like is how big of a deal is access for you or how big is it? I mean, the neighborhood you mentioned on, but anything right. else that's on a mental checklist or anything that's an absolute deal breaker of, no, I'm, I just this farm doesn't make sense for whatever reason. Yeah. Access, you know, access is a big deal. And I think we've got three or four road type access points on this one, which will work. Ideally we should, we would like to acquire something from the East and something from the South, which, you know, we'll work on as we get more familiar with the neighbors and the people out there, that would be one box. I would say like if I was rating on a access, I was rating this farm on a one to 10 scale of access. I think this one's probably a seven. Mm-hmm. It's not ideal, but it it's workable. And we're, once we're there a little while, we're usually able to improve that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confident we can come up with something there to get a little bit better access. Mm-hmm. So what about, um, I'm trying to think here. I think you touched on a lot of, if, so when you're looking at something from an income perspective, we'll use this farm, yep. we'll use like a CRP farm, uh, for example, is there like a percent return that you're trying to hit or a certain, uh, income per acre that you try to hit? Yeah. I mean, like this one, one of the benefits is I don't have a set income. I usually try to think a couple years down the road. And like this one was bid in a time when the rates were lower. Mm-hmm. So we're going to ride out the rest of this contract. And I think it's in at 160 bucks an acre or something, 161, which isn't, isn't great. And then, you know, hopefully at that point, 
whether we're the owners or somebody else, you could re-enroll that at a, you know, a much higher rate and that would grow, greatly change the, oh, yeah. the return on the farm. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we haven't talked about the walnuts yet, but this farm, which is very rare for a CRP farm, has some beautiful big walnuts. So, you know, we're going to manage for those going forward here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What do you, if you were to re-enroll that, let's say it expired and you were going to re-enroll it out, do you think that'd get over 200? Yeah. Yeah. yeah th- using the county average rates on those soil types, um, that should go in the, in the high 190 to 210 range, yeah, depending on how you re-enrolled it. And that, you know, that would be about a 30% increase in, yeah. in income, which would be huge. Yeah, so. absolutely. And so I want to talk a little bit about taking, I think this is something that a lot of people would probably be curious. So you bought it, you're going to be putting it in food pots here in, in August or probably here pretty darn soon. Yep. Uh, we, you sprayed one of them when we were out there. Yep. So what is the strategy of taking CRP? You have the, this CRP uh, program has an allotment for food plots. Right. What is that process start to finish of taking CRP into food plots for your recreational farm? You know, like on this one, we've got, um, because we have almost 200 acres of CRP, it's divided up into five or six fields. Each of those fields, we can do up to 10% of. So you can't, this is a misconception. Yes. You can't put 20, a yeah, 20 you, acre you field cannot have one 20 acre yeah. field. You can only have 10% of each field up to Two, five, five acres. Yep. So that's a big difference. And that, you know, that kind of strategy is important, um, you know, in managing an existing CR farm, CRP farm, but it's even more important when you're enrolling something in CRP, because if you divide it up too small and make all these weird little fields, you're going to have weird little food plots instead of connecting a couple fields together to get enough size to make something that you can manage. Mm -hmm. So, so, all right. So uh, you plan on putting in two different food plots, you spray it with glyphosate. Yep. And then, and then from there, what do you do? Yeah. Like the, the general, just so we truly start from scratch for people with the process, you know, the first thing we're going to do is go in talk to FSA explain what we're doing. We can't do anything until August 1st. We mm-hmm. can't do any mowing or anything like that. So August 1st is when we'll start on the the actual mowing and prep work of the plots. But with once we show FSA where we're going to do them, we'll mow it, give it a couple days to green up and then spray it. And then let the once the spray is soaked in and killed everything, then uh, we'll probably till those plots up because they're going to be pretty rough. Um, like you saw, there's a lot of cedar trees, a lot mm-hmm. of brush, you know, stuff like that, that we're going to hills, stuff like that, that we're going to have to remove. So the ground's going to need to be worked at least once to incorporate the fertilizer, level everything up. And then normally if we were doing this project in April, this would be a standard, you know, small green plot leading to a bigger grain plot. Um, This year we're going to do a small green plot leading to a bigger turnip plot. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of green to green, so to speak. But in, in this instance, the, it'll still serve that function because the the brassica or turnip plots, those will be our carbohydrates, like for our late season muzzleloader hunting mm-hmm. or anytime later in the season. So, mm-hmm. and what are, what are you planning in the the green plot, and how how much per acre are you putting out in terms of uh, poundage? I th- well, I think on the on the the way we're splitting those up, they're going to be about two two food plots total of about five acres each, mm-hmm. and then there'll be four acres of the brassicas, one acre of the green. Mm-hmm. And then on the green section, you know, we're going to use, that's going to be done to oats, Austrian winter peas, probably a little bit of red clover. Um, and that's a pretty high poundage mix because I call it a chia plot. Like you literally <laughs> want it to just be lush green and something always lush and green and growing mm-hmm. and them focus that on that. So on a deal like that, we'll probably have, you know, 60 pounds of oats, 70 pounds of oats, a full 50 pound bag of Austrian winter peas 
probably four or five pounds of uh, of red clover. Um, that's more just a soil building clover. And then, you know, so you're, you're probably talking 110, 120 pounds per acre on the small green plot. And then on the brassica plot, it's the opposite. We plant a fairly low rate trying to get the brassicas to grow quite a bit of size to them. So we're going to, our brassica mix we plant is between five and six pounds per acre. Mm -hmm. So what are the, some target dates to get that in? Well, that your, your brassicas are the first ones that we have to do. And that's going to happen real soon here. Usually I try to get them in by the last week of July or the first week of August. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you're going to let them give them plenty of time to, you know, to get lots of growth and get, Oh, up to softball size turnips. That's the best way to get all the, mm -hmm. you know, the tonnage we can out of it and still have a lot of lush um, tops, you know, as well. And then the, and then the second part of it will be done in late, late August. You don't want the oats and stuff to grow long enough to go back to seed. Mm -hmm. You want them to, you know, be able to be nipped down and managed by the deer. So. Is there an ideal or is there a minimum acreage size in your mind for a brassica plot? You know, in this instance, I think we're making these too big, mm -hmm. but it's going to prep the ground for, for years going forward. Yep. So we're going to go ahead and do it. But two acres of brassicas is a lot if they do well. I mean, that's a lot, lot. It'd be rare that you would run out of that on a farm during hunting season. Mm -hmm. So when do you see the brassicas be most productive? Is it late season or do you still see them there in like or, or in October? You know, if, if we get a frost and then you know, that changes the, you know, that plant starts growing and producing. I've heard sugars, I've heard it's something else, but when they start getting nipped by a frost, those brassicas will start sweetening up and the deer really will start going after, aggressively going after the tops. Usually in our area, that's around the 20th of October, 15th, 20th through, you know, through Halloween till the rut gets going, they're ideal. And then they'll start hitting them again after, you know, after November or after December 1st kind of post rut through the feeding period of the late season. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a good illustration. And do you, I mean, with that mix there, it seems like you should have something for basically the majority of yeah. the season. Yep. We, and we doing these plots this big, we'll be able to shed hunt those plots. There'll be plenty left in the winter. They'll be digging them out in March still. Mm -hmm. So, which that's always nice too. So, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, I think most people when they have CRP, that's one of the first things they want to do is figure out, can they, can they put food? Yes. And then I think it's really important that you mentioned just because you have a field, even if it looks like it's one continuous field, depending right. on how it's drawn up. Yes. It's, it's all when it was enrolled and how it was drawn up. And yeah. then, uh, I don't know if you wanted to bring up the fire breaks part of this. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So that's something else that I think yep. is a great, a potential improvement to allow you a, to improve the CRP and, and B have more food. So explain what, what that looks like. Yeah. One of the challenges with this farm is it's been in CRP for quite a while. I'm, I'm assuming this is its second renewal. So, you know, it's been in for 20 plus years and there's a lot of cedar trees that are starting to take over the field. And over the years that you could see someone had gone in and maybe taken a skid loader and pulled, you know, snipped off the big ones, but there's a lot of two and three foot tall cedar trees, lots of them, like we're talking thousands. Mm -hmm. And so the best way to manage that and, and also just for the health of the warm season grasses is through fire. So what we're going to do on the perimeter of that entire farm, we're going to, with FSA and NRCS's permission, we're going to install 30 foot strips of fire breaks and the different NRCS seed plans call for different things, but they're primarily legumes, not grass species. Mm -hmm. Cause that, that, you know, clover, it doesn't really burn. You know, it's not a real heavy fuel. It's low to the ground. So by putting the entire perimeters of that farm in clover fire breaks, 
it gives us a huge amount of food for the deer, you know, and then it also makes burning the farm very easily because you don't, at that point, you don't need any heavy equipment mm -hmm. or anything like that. You can just go in, you know, if you happen to get a warm day, a couple warm days in February, you can go in and burn that and, you know, and that'll help clean those cedars off and kind of, well, if we would have done that, we would have known where that ditch was. You're darn right. So. <laughs> Richard wouldn't have a black eye. Right you both wouldn't have black <laughs> eyes. <laughs> but uh, I think that's going to be like going forward with the farm. Once that's established and growing, that's the one that's going to be like, wow, this is a really nice farm. Like oh. it's going to really, because it does kind of frame the field as far as you got woods, clover, you know, native warm season grass. It kind of puts it all in one spot. Yeah. I, I, I'm excited to see what this place looks like in a, in yeah. two years. From yeah. Now. I think it's yep. going to look completely different. It reality. will for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And as far as, uh, I mean, is there any other notes you have on that farm? Cause my mind is, I'm just thinking of some of the different camera locations that we put out. Cause that, what's cool about this is how I don't think it's necessarily actual creeks, but there's a lot of places you can manipulate your wind. Yeah. And a lot of cool places that feel that you should be able to kill a big deer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a couple of spots that we walked is like, this is a, this is a no brainer because of ABC. Right. Yeah. Very, very natural funnels that are strong. Um, the other thing we're going to continue to, or consider doing on that farm. I think we've, we found three ponds on the farm, one, yeah. two, three, and there's really no other water. Mm -hmm. And there didn't seem to be much water close by. So get, we've got cameras on two of those setups. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see their use of the water. And then um, that would be the only other project that I would do on this would be maybe install some small water holes mm -hmm. in, in or close to one of those rut funnel areas just yep. to really put it over the top. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would be one, you know, one other project that I, I don't know that that'll get done this year, but, but that's definitely on the list for the future of, of really making that an excellent farm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a, that's an excellent, and that's what, I mean, that's, so you have a farm cranking out a bunch of income and right. you have, I mean, a good whitetail farm too. Yeah. I think people think that those two things can't exist. No, that's a good example of, you know, both those things being in one package for sure. So, yeah. Um, Let's see here. So I have a bunch of different notes and I'm just thinking of uh, what we should cover here. So yeah. I think what, um, this is kind of a hard pivot here, but in the world of, there's so many different investments. If you open up anything, there's invest right. in this, invest in gold, invest right. in every, all these different things. In your hearts of heart, do you feel that land is a very sound, good investment? Obviously, I, I know the answer to yeah, this. But. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, for me, it's, it's a no brainer. And we've talked about all that, you know, some of that stuff before about the fact that that's my primary vehicle of investing mm -hmm. and it's never, you know, it's never let, it's never let me down in all the times that I've done it. It's like anything you do have to be careful doing it, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, by far it's uh, highly tangible, you know, it can't disappear. Mm -hmm. So even though, even in the worst of the worst during COVID, when the stock market was um, dropping like a rock, I have one good friend who I manage land for here and, you know, he's, he works in the, in the stock market. And, you know, he, he asked, what do you think my farm would sell for today? And I told him and he said, well, that's crazy because our stock portfolio <laughs> dropped 50% and yeah. land might've been off by 10%. Yeah. So, you know, that was a good test for stable. me. That, stable. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that's, and I, I've talked about this on this podcast too, but just the inefficiencies in, in real estate. Yes. That, that's something that has always been there. I think that's something that will become less Yes. Uh, as more tools and information uh, becomes available, but it uh, it's just, I've talked to so many different people and I, I still want to talk to someone that it didn't work out for like right. long, long, long no. term, but I just haven't found right. that person. Yeah. That's yet. kind of strange that you can't find that person, but I know. it's, it's yeah. kind of cool in a way too. Yeah. Cause I get, so. I get comments or emails like, yeah, you just have people that have been successful. Right. In this. There's, 
And uh, maybe some of that wasn't. Maybe they don't want to share their story, but I would well, invite them. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, really that would make a good podcast for sure. Yeah. And so let's see here. But how long? What else can we talk about? Um, I don't know. You talk about your tag and your hunting strategy or your timing or you save that for another one, whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's that? In the hunting strategy? Okay. Sure. Okay. Good idea. Okay. Yeah. So uh, uh, Richard had this, uh, this is live Q&A right now. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. <laughs> uh, what is your, what is your actual approach for hunting? crp land and i know there's different types of crp and and so let's just kind of look at this from a perspective of some warm season grasses or pollinators because i think that's what or even or even uh the cool season grasses too because i think a lot of there's a lot of that well, there's at least a lot of cool season grass crp where i'm at not as much out here but right what is your what's your approach what excites you and what makes you kind of think eh. you know what's a it, it's we spent all all the time this week or weekend at at my new farm but the best answer of that question like how can we in, What's the best way to incorporate CRP and a hunting strategy? The best example of that is going to be on my farm right around here by the lake. Mm-hmm. And what we've done there using tall, tall prairie grass, you know, which is primarily cover and then using the shorter one, which is much higher in forbs mm-hmm. and wildflowers. And we're actually treating that as food sources. Mm-hmm. We're not treating them general as- General browse. Yeah, general browse. We're, we don't want it as- um, we're not using them as destination food plots, but just general feeding areas for the deer. And with the, you know, it's actually because FSA now requires two cover types in a CRP contract. Um, I'm trying to think a tall grass and a short grass. You can't do just all of one. At least all the ones I enrolled this year were that way. We were required to pick two cover types or two seeding types which from a hunter standpoint works out absolutely perfect Mm -hmm. because anywhere that you want cover, screening, bedding, that type of cover, that's your tall prairie grass. Mm -hmm. Anywhere we'd rather want more food, that's your, you know, you like your 30-10 mix or something like that with more forbs and less grasses. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty excited about that because we're literally, and the greatest thing, it's CRP, so you're getting paid on all of it. But like on that farm, I've got got seven miles of clover fire breaks, (laughs) you know, I've got a hundred and something acres of tall bedding cover. I've yeah. got 60 acres of Forbes yeah. for food. So I, you know, I'm building in year round food sources, access, everything mm-hmm. into that CRP. It's really excellent. And, and this farm that we're on yesterday, I've sort of been bound to some degree by what was Sorry. enrolled in yep. the past and what rules are in place. I'm not starting from scratch, but I'll amend what I can. But my, my farm over here, my Appanoose County farm, that's the one that's really going to be a showcase of what you can do with CRP from a hunting standpoint. So Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, uh, what about for, let's say someone was able to get permission on a mainly CRP farm. How do you go about breaking that down? Is it literally kind of finding the, the trees and, and uh, yeah, potential the, pinch points? And- you, you know, depending on how much control you're given by the landowner, if it was a permission farm, if, if you were allowed to do something as simple as mowing, mm. you know, even in, even CRP that they can walk through, you know, if you're allowed to mow trails where you want them to walk, that's a huge plus. Mm. You know, you can take two or three trails, like a wagon wheel, bring them into one, mm-hmm. and then bring that one past your stand, mm. you know, because they will generally, when they travel to bed, they don't take the same trail every day. But if you give them three options that all lead to one option, you can really use that CRP as a as a funnel and that helps take away sort of the when you stand there staring at an ocean of native grass yeah you know you can start to break it down and that's a way to make something like that bow huntable yeah so that's a yeah that's a 
very simple, useful tool. Yeah. That another, you know, another little thing like that. And again, this one, you'd probably have to ask FSA and NRCS. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be down with it. But um, if you have an area along the road and you have good native grass, this could even be on a permission place. Um, if you get urea fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer, and just walk through it with a broadcast spreader, if you do that, in, as soon as you start to get hot weather in June, hopefully ahead of a rain, you can almost double the size of that grass. Mm. So you can create thicker, taller, yeah, screen. Or if you just want to make one area of the field act as more of a bedding cover than the rest, yeah. you can do that. And you're talking, you know, a bag of urea is 20 bucks. So, yeah. you know, three or four bags and a couple hours of well, time wow. with a broadcast spreader, you can, you can really change the dynamics of a CRP field yeah. from a hunting standpoint. Yeah. That's so, a, that's a, that's a good tip. I never even want to consider. Yeah. That. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Tricks of the trade. Tricks the of the years. trade. Exactly. Yeah. All the things we learn as we go. Yeah. It was, has there been any mistakes from um, the farms that you've owned in the past that whether it was on the buy, whether it was on the sell or when you owned it, that you simply won't make that mistake again? Well, the, you know, in my younger days, I sold a lot of farms too soon and too cheap. <laughs> Meaning you didn't, it wasn't a finished product enough? Or? No, I just, you know, I just should have realized what I had. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had a farm at one point that was 240 acres in Iowa and 80 acres in Missouri oh, yeah. on one farm. And I, I should have kept that one, or if I did sell it, it should have been at an absolute premium because that was the type of situation that you can't replicate. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or not very easily. What was the mechanics so, of that? Because, so you, you could, I mean, you could hunt the, you're hunting the same deer basically, but you have, you yeah, get your Missouri was, tag every year. Yep. The, you had a Missouri tag every year, but, and you also had sort of alternating turkey seasons. Yeah. So like the guy I sold it to is from Pennsylvania. So they would, you know, draw like a, a season one Iowa tag then go right into Missouri one bird season, then Missouri two bird season. Uh -huh. So you literally, you know, had triple the opportunities yeah. to turkey hunt that a, a guy that just owns an Iowa farm. And when we planted, when we had that plot, that farm, we literally had a food plot that ran into both states <laughs> and we drove up steak in the ground like, okay, if you're hunting <laughs> Missouri, you can't shoot past here. <laughs> but that's the kind of farm that, you know, I, I regret it. I didn't know, you know, no one knew what the future yeah. was going to bring and we made great money on it and it was a really neat project. And those guys still own it to this day. They know what they have. So yeah. that's such um, an ultra rare farm. Yes. How often does that happen? It's pretty rare. Yeah. It's pretty rare. You know, it would be a kind of a neat project to try to build one, but it would be like a, it would be like a life-size jigsaw puzzle, you know, yeah. trying to put that together. Yeah. You'd have so. to go just look on yeah, you'd have to find Onyx one and, and then yeah. work on the other and, and see how to connect yes, them. Yep. And then you'd have to work with agents or somehow that were licensed in both states. Yeah. And you know, that would be another complexity to it. But um but yeah, that would be that, that would was be, that was that the second farm you bought? No, you that was probably farms? it was it was close. It was that same year. So it would have been the second or third. Uh -huh. It was right after that. Yeah. I forgot about that. It would have been that long ago. But yeah. That, so uh, so uh, the lesson there is knowing what you have. And I think that's probably easier now with yeah. all the information, but that is such cool. Yeah. That <laughs> was, that was such, and you know, uh, what even makes it even crazier is it was high income. Uh -huh. It had everything. <laughs> it literally had everything. And yeah. So that would, you know, that was one regret on that, on that side of things. But, uh, and like I said, we did very well on it. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, kicking myself. It's just, what it's a once in a it's yeah a it's, i just didn't realize how rare it was yeah. at the time yeah so yeah and you found it's one of those deals you're so green to us still and you right just don't know. exactly so yeah. okay so the uh understand what you have um what else anything else 
On regret's side, I mean, obviously, we could all say we should have bought more, but you sure. can't can't count that because yep. without a crystal ball, you wouldn't have. Uh, yeah, it's um, easy to look back and say everything worked out, but right, know, it, it, yeah, right, and um, and I'm trying to make up for that this now, but the other thing is. I didn't hunt enough back then. Really? Yeah, I went through a long stretch without hunting much for myself, mm, yeah. you know, or very minimally. Yep. And it it was kind of funny. I ended up taking a good friend of mine that him and I would I would go up and hunt Alberta with him. He would come down here and hunt with me. He was an outfitter also, and we would kind of trade. And he's the one that finally told me. He's like, "Hey, you got to start hunting more." He's like, "You're getting sloppy." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like on your setups yeah. and stuff like that. So, and I was kind of like, "Shoot!" and now, now he's again, one of those friends that could just tell you how. Oh, it was. he is. His, he, I, I'll say his name. <laughs> the and if Canadian. anybody knows him, he, they would know how he is. His name's Jim Hole. Okay. And he was famous for um, the Alberta Bozone. Oh, him. Okay. Yeah, the one that he designed yeah. a lot of yeah. the Sitka gear. Yeah. That's yeah. Who, that's yeah. who he was. That's oh really? Yep. Him and I used to hunt together all the time. So. Um, so yeah, I can. De- he's definitely the guy to tell you. That. Yes, he's he's going <laughs> to critique you video. every day. Like you cook dinner, he's going to have a list of things that. And he's being constructive. He's sure, not doing yeah. it in a bad way, but yeah. he's an engineer mindset kind of guy. Yeah. So he's just going to, you know, try to make everything better. But uh, yeah, and I, you know, there were years that I, I didn't invest a lot of my own time into hunting. And it was like now thinking back, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You wish you'd go back and relive some of those. Seasons, yes. Sure. Yep. So what, uh, what's your strategy now then? Are you, is it just to set more time for yourself during the season? Right now it is. But after Jim's criticism... I kind of took it to heart and I started hunting hard uh-huh. and I had a couple amazingly good years, mm-hmm. you know, almost to where people start saying, okay, you can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I'm just kind of normal with it now, but now I am trying to make more time to hunt for myself and mm-hmm. really block it out and make sure really what's, what's always been a challenge if you're involved in the guiding is you never get to hunt the rut. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. that is such a cool time to be in the woods. So now it's like, nope, I'm going to be, I get the other guys that my partners can run the business and they can take care of everything and mm-hmm. I'm going to hunt, you know? Enjoy it, yeah. yeah. You know, you got all these, we've got all these farms and you make all these setups. It's fun to sit in the tree and actually see it all work, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, anything else here on the land side of things? Cause I, I do want to uh, here's a teaser for everyone. We're going to record one about November. Yep. And uh, that'll go live on the Exodus podcast closer to November. So uh, set a reminder in your calendar. Yep. <laughs> We're going to be talking about It'll that. It'll be here before you know it. It will be. Absolutely. And I'll just um, maybe just briefly touch on what you're doing right now until October 1 for, for whitetails. I know you got a uh, coveted elk tag. Yeah, I've got, we've got a lot of elk hunting to do, it, but that's September. But, you know, right now the things that are on our forefront is just, you know, any new blinds that have to go in, new stand locations, start working on those. Obviously, cameras, mm-hmm. that's a big part of what's happening right now. And then we'll start this week on planning the brassica plots. You know, mm-hmm. we'll start on that and hit it pretty hard the next two weeks, hopefully get all that done. Um, we had kind of a challenging early, late spring, yeah. early summer, had an unprecedented dry spell. So we've got to evaluate all our plots like soybeans and see if they're going to make it and be a viable plot or if we just have to go ahead and plan on tearing them up and redoing them. Yeah. Yeah. This, we got those good rains that rained last night here. Yeah, we did get a, and that wasn't called for. We've really lucked out on little, you know, little rains like that. We do an unbelievable amount of electric fencing. Yeah. That's all up right now. So it's just kind of simple maintenance, Mm -hmm. Um, but it has to be done because deer knock it down and trees fall on it and whatnot. But um, yeah, the electric fence is a big, big part of what we're always always working on as well is there so. a mental deadline for you to have a blind set up for season 
You know, I should say yes, but I, I don't. And and on, it's counterintuitive, but I've seen them put up fairly late. What I do try to do, if we don't have a crew together to help put one up, I try to get it to the plot. Mm-hmm. Even it if it's there. sitting on the ground, you yeah. know, and all the stuff is sitting there, the whatever the stand's going to be and stuff. Seems like it's once it's there, they get used to it. And then you can put it up, you can move it, and they've kind of accepted it. I've you put them up too late in the year and, and you can have problems with that. It seems mm-hmm. like, you know, the other time that I really like to do that is going to be when the corn is cut. It seems like when all the t- trains, yeah, there's all the commotion and it seems like the corn standing, they're used to that. The corn's gone and whatever they take in that day, that's the new landscape. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's good advice. Well, um, definitely appreciate your time as always. We're going to talk about the rut, and I'm going to be ready to, to come back yes. to Iowa by the time we get done. Now, hopefully we got some more pictures to look at. Yeah, for so. sure, absolutely. But go ahead and uh, and share where people can find you. I know you're always posting what the shenanigans you get into. On yep. Instagram. Yeah, Instagram's the best place to you know to keep track of me, and uh, that's also on Facebook. And the Instagram is just my name, Steve Hansen Third. And then uh, you can always find us at Hawkeye United Country in Albia, Iowa. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, thank you so much once again. I had a, a really fun weekend, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm already counting down the days till next time I come out here. Might be August, might be. Whenever. You're <laughs> welcome <laughs> anytime. Awesome. So. Thank you so much. Yep. There you guys have it. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, please leave a five-star written review. Use the code LP at the ExodusOutdoorGear.com website and save 15% off and get a free scratch-off card for your next order. And also, if you are wanting to dive into land, I encourage you to go check out acres.com and check out their mapping software. I'm telling you, if you are a land buyer or you're looking to do due diligence on a parcel, it is, in my opinion, the most efficient tool to do so. So go check all that out. Until next time, see you guys.